This is the Used Car Dealer Podcast. Well, hello, Zach here, and we have a really timely guest on the podcast today, Jeff Martin, who's the executive director of the Texas Independent Auto Dealer Association, which is one of the largest independent auto dealer associations in the country. And Jeff's also Texas-based, and I can't believe I'm saying this, but it's snowing there. How are you doing, Jeff? I'm doing great, Zach. Thanks for having me. Yeah, a little unusual right now uh, to to be sitting here at seven degrees in Texas, but uh, it is a little unusual. So to get things started out, tell us about how you got into the business through the Texas Independent Auto Dealer Association and a little bit about your background. Yeah, absolutely. So I've been in the uh, nonprofit association world for about 24 years now. Um, I uh, was working for a teachers association and uh, started doing a little bit of consulting. And one of the uh, associations that I was doing some consulting for was the Texas Independent Automobile Dealers Association. And in visiting with their executive director at the time, uh, really felt like there was a lot of membership opportunity as well as other opportunities for growth in that particular space. Uh, After visiting with him for, gosh, probably not even a month, Zach, uh, he let me know that he was um, thinking about retiring and asked if I was interested in the position. And and here I am uh, 14 years later. Wow. And for those unfamiliar with the TXIADA, give us a high level about the size and impact of it. Yeah, absolutely. So we have just over 1,300 members. Uh, 1,100 of those, roughly 1,100 are um, independent automobile dealers. Um, But what we like to say, and there's about 14,000 licensed dealers in the state of Texas, independent licensed dealers in the state of Texas. Uh, But what we like to say is we represent about 68 to 70% of all of the used cars sold by independent dealers in the state of Texas. We represent that population. Wow. And if I'm not mistaken, Texas has the most dealer licenses for used car dealers in the U.S.? It's my understanding. It's it's interesting because it depends on how you issue a license. So California, Texas, uh, we're a little different. In Texas, we issue it by rooftop. So, uh, for example, if you look at CarMax, for example, uh, they'll have roughly 18 to 19 licensed dealers in Texas, and they, they license each individual rooftop. In some other states, you can have multiple locations under one license. But the short answer to your question is yes, Texas uh, is probably the largest um, state with independent licensed dealers. So a lot of used car dealers, they're aware that IADAs exist in their state, but they may not be members. Why should they join an IADA? And what does Texas Independent Auto Dealer Association do specifically for used car dealers? Yeah, it's a really good question. Obviously, the easy answer for me is everyone should be a member of the association. But the reason that they should be a member, and it's not just about independent automobile dealer associations. In my opinion, it's about associations in general. Now, any uh, if you're in a profession or if you are uh, in an industry and that industry is your voice, you need to be a part of that. Associations are only as strong as the members who are willing to join the association. And then furthermore, Zach, 
the members who are willing to be active with that association. You know, this isn't, I don't own the association. None of the, none of our staff own uh, the association. It's a member owned member governed association. And so if, you know, just in general terms, you think about the way governance works, um, a, a, a governing body is only going to be as strong as the people who are willing to be actively involved in that. So if you are an independent automobile dealer or you're in any, again, profession or industry, and you're not a part of that association, uh, I always feel like you have a hard time sitting on the outside complaining about what the association is doing for you if you're not willing to be actively involved in it. Um, so that, that's the short answer. Everyone should be involved because that's the voice of your industry. That's the, the group that's out there trying to protect your industry. And we can only be as good as the input that we're given. And so if you're not a member of the association, you're not participating in the committees, you're not participating in the, um, the, the channels to get your message heard, then, uh, then your view, frankly, is, is not being heard. And so um, and the second part of your question, as far as I, to me, that goes hand in hand as far as why someone should be a part of the association, because it is, you know, your voice. And so what the association does is, you know, associations, their their main function is to grow the influence uh, of that association and then ultimately uh, take that influence and help protect and grow and educate the, the members of the association. And, you know, we've got benefits as do every association. We've got discount benefits for our members. We've got education that we put in place for our members to try to help them become better at their, uh, at their craft um, or, or better you know, within their industry. Um, but again, at the end of the day, it's about growing influence and without the dealers joining the association, uh, it, it makes it more difficult for that association to, to be powerful. And that's essentially what we've done here in Texas is, you know, tried to uh, focus on growing the the membership and explaining that that this is the voice of, of your association if you care or your industry and if you care about your industry there's there's a good way to to get to get involved and, and have a voice so what was 2020 like from the lens of an iada director and what problems did you help dealers navigate yeah, that's a really good question. Obviously, because 2020 was so unique, we can't really compare it to something else and say, man, I remember back in 19 whatever, because 19 whatever just never happened. We haven't been through a pandemic. Uh, I think the easiest thing for me to point at is, and, and sometimes this, frankly, is fairly easy for associations when it's very obvious what you need to be working on. You know, it's not always super, it's not always super obvious that this is the issue that we should be working on. Um, but the biggest question for us with all the local orders and the state orders, and, and I will say the national orders, even though there weren't really ever any um, uh, national orders that were handed down, uh, it, it was kind of left up to the states and, and for us, even the cities and the counties. And to kind of help our dealers navigate who could be open, who couldn't be open, if you were open, what were the uh, you know, what did you have to do to be compliant and be open? And then some of that, too, is like, is, you know, what's the enforcement going to look like? Um, you know, we have over 150 counties here in Texas and obviously more cities than that. And the state didn't originally come out with a specific order. Although in fairness, I'll say the state never shut down the Department of Motor Vehicles either. So we took that as an indication that we could be open. Um, we did need to be in a position as dealers to be able to provide transportation. And in a state like Texas, public transportation is not readily available everywhere. 
Uh, people were still having accidents in cars. They were still having cars that uh, needed to be replaced. And so we needed to, we needed to um, make sure that our members understood how they could, th their role in that. And so it was just very, very obviously obvious in 2020, you know, starting really the end of February, 1st of March, when we started the pandemic really was, was kind of in full swing here in Texas. Uh, to help our members navigate through that in March, April. Then, you know, you have issues like payroll protection uh, program. How's that going to affect our members and their employees as an employer? How's that going to affect you? But then also there's this um, new money that's going to be in the economy. And, uh, you know, how can our members uh, make sure that, that, again, they're providing transportation and working with their customers to, uh, to make sure that the customers stay in their car you know, with customers who are losing jobs and and waiting on um, waiting on some of that payroll protection money to be able to 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 stay in their vehicles, and so those were the things that we focused on navigating. And I would say through the lens of an executive director, that was really our focus. How can we help our dealers stay open and, and stay productive? You know, some of the things like um, like conferences and, and education. Um, for us, it was unique because we had to look at new ways to deliver that same um, you know, that, that, that same message or uh, how are we going to be able to make sure that our members are, are staying compliant? How are they how do we get best practices out in front of our members when we're so um, used to having our in-person conferences, which you know you've been at our conference numerous times and, and we've always felt like they were very, very successful. But I think for us, what we had to do is to say, how can we deliver that same message? There are some members out there that are depending on us, uh, but just through a different platform. And, um, and and those were, as an association person, those were kind of unique, interesting, fun, challenging times because we'd just never done anything like that before. How have you seen used car dealerships evolve over the last 14 years that you've been running the Texas Independent Auto Dealer Association? Wow, 14 years. Yeah. Um, you know, the biggest evolution has certainly been technology. And I think that's the it's kind of the throwaway easy answer because technology seems to, to just change so, so rapidly. Um, and then that's such a broad answer too. you know, technology, technology in the vehicles, technology in purchasing the inventory, technology in um, shoppers online. And then certainly over the last year, you know, technology and being able to deliver vehicles. Uh, you know, we've got a lot more of our members who are looking at touchless delivery points, uh, which, you know, there have been some uh, used car dealers who've been on the cutting edge of that for the last five or six years, but it really, it, no one was forced or pushed to kind of go in that direction. And over the last year, we, we as an industry and, and as used car dealers have kind of been forced uh, to, to move in that direction. So technology is the easy, you know, kind of the easy answer, but, but also funding. Um, you know, it, it felt like 14 years ago when I first started with the association, if you wanted to get into the used car business, because of the price of used cars and the availability of inventory, it was much easier for people to get into the business. And what I've really seen in the last 14 years, it's much more complicated. Uh, mm -hmm. It's extremely expensive. And, and a lot of that expense has to do with the um, being able to to find the inventory. You know, I, I think that um, it's such an interesting business, Zach. I didn't grow up in the auto industry. And so this is all kind of this was new to me. But 
it's such an interesting industry when you don't make your own widgets. You know, we're dependent as used car dealers for the widgets to fall to us. You know, if we we can have all the customers in the world, but if you don't have the cars to sell them or you don't have the inventory to provide those customers what they need, you're in a really unique situation. It's not like, you know, we make donuts and we can say, let's just get more flour. Let's just, let's just make more donuts because we have more customers. And that part, I don't know that there's other industries other than, you know, if you're in the antique business or something like that, where you're dependent Mm -hmm. on your product to fall to you. And, and so I think with uh, with with the new car dealers probably holding on to that inventory a little bit longer, it's created a real squeeze for the people that were in that business. And that squeeze, you know, is kind of is is um, affected by the people who have the money to be able to go out and buy that uh, buy that inventory that certainly has gone up over the last 14 years. Uh, so I'd say, you know, that the capital that it takes to get into the business. And a lot of that is driven kind of by the inventory or the supply chain, if you will. Um, and then the, you know, it, it's, it's a complicated business and the technology, while technology is making things a lot easier for our members, you also have to be willing to kind of take that plunge and say, I'm going to invest in, you know, search engine optimizations. I'm going to use my, um, you know, I'm going to use my, my website differently than I used my website in the past. And you have to, because the shoppers are so different now than they used to be. And, and, you know, Zach, certainly you're an expert in that area. You know that better than I do, but that's the area that I, I've seen change the most uh, over the last 14 years. So compliance, it's often overlooked by used car dealers or not taken as seriously as it should be from your lens what have you learned about the importance of compliance for used car dealers? Yeah, man, that's a great question. And, you know, that's one of the things that we really focus on as a, a, an association here in Texas. I mean, we we consider ourselves kind of uh, the know-it-all when it comes to compliance. And if we don't know the answer, we know who to call to, to find out what the answer is. And you know, it, it, it's overlooked because it's not any fun. You know, it's kind of like taking your medicine and, and dealers need to, to be compliant. They need to stay compliant. And you can overlook it and overlook it and overlook it. And then all of a sudden, you know, one of the state regulators shows up or or something happens. And, and then you're scrambling around to try to figure out, have I been doing things right for the last four years? Well, it's a little late at that point, you know, to once the regulator shows up or once the state agency shows up to say, man, have I been doing things uh, appropriately over the last uh, four to six years? So it's something that you have to kind of stay focused on. And what I tell, you know, our members is make sure that you have someone, you have some mechanism in place uh, to at least be reviewing that compliance policy or that compliance strategy. Um, and there are a lot of new players that are kind of getting into that field to try to help dealers stay compliant because it is more confusing. Uh, and certainly at the national level, we've seen with you know the CFPB, I guess they've been around for almost seven years now. And, um, and certainly they carry a very big stick for uh, auto dealers and, and, and auto lenders. And uh, so I think that it's it's probably more important now uh, because you see things at the federal level. Not that it wasn't important before, but it was probably a little bit more manageable. And, and I'll also say this when it comes to compliance. As long as we know the rules, our guys can stay compliant. It's, it's when the rules are changing and when we don't really know, you know, and I'll give you an example. We, we always felt like with the CFPB, they took the position that 
if we see you doing something wrong, we'll come out and we'll let you know what it is that you're doing wrong. And we'll let you know by way of a fine. Uh, man, that's hard to stay compliant that way. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, CFPB has been around and it's a little bit more of a mature associate or uh, agency at this time. But if there are rules and regulations in place and we understand what those rules and regulations are, we can educate our members and our members will stay compliant. And, and look, rules and regulations are there for a reason. They're there because we want to create a, an even playing field and allow everyone to be successful, but make sure that everyone's kind of playing at the same level in, in this industry. And so when someone is not compliant and you have a number of other dealers who are compliant, well, those dealers, are, it's costing them money to stay compliant. And you have someone else who's who has opted to or doesn't know or for whatever reason, they're not compliant. There probably needs to be some regulation in that particular area. But the key is we have to know what that regulation is. And I think that's where associations play a very important role. They have to be, they have to, they have to be working with uh, and, and visiting with and, and, and playing a major role as a stakeholder with the state agencies and with the national agencies and continuing to make sure that we're, we are being represented as an industry and explaining to them, as long as you tell us what the rules are, Certainly, we want some input in what those rules are going to be, too. But as long as you tell us what the rules are, we can be compliant. And, and you know, I, I'll say we're very fortunate here in Texas. We have a great regulatory environment um, and we're very active. Uh, the two agencies that regulate our guys for the most are the Texas Department of Motor Vehicles and the Office of Consumer Credit Commission. We've got very good relationships with both of those agencies. Uh, we're very active uh, down at the Capitol in, uh, here in Austin. And, um, and that's, that, that's, that's key to being a successful association. Um, now, the first part you asked me about was making sure that you're getting the input from the dealers. And then the second part of that is making sure that that input is being delivered to the state agencies and to the legislators or to the policymakers and rule makers to say, this is how, what you're talking about, this is how it would affect that industry. And as long as we're doing that, um, I think that you can create a really good environment and, and regulation doesn't have to be that painful. Um, but, but being actively involved is it, being actively involved in it is, is absolutely the key. And um, unfortunately, it gets overlooked sometimes because it's becoming more and more expensive. And again, the other part is it's no fun. People didn't get into this business to go, man, I really want to know everything I can about regulation. They got into this business to sell cars <laughs> and, and regulation is just a part of that. And what I often hear dealers say is that, oh, they're only going to go after the larger stores, the multi-rooftops. Do you see smaller stores getting fined, getting in trouble from a compliance standpoint? Yeah, you know, I wouldn't say that there's any statistics on it. I mean, I'm sure there are statistics. I I don't have the statistics. Um, And so what you're hearing there is anecdotal information. Mm -hmm. And so if you go after a big store and let's say that there's going to be um, like restitution ordered. Well, if you go after a large dealer and and um, and an agency orders restitution to consumers, well, the number is going to be significantly larger just because of the number of consumers. And if that exact same agency um, imposes some order of restitution on a smaller dealership, that might not make the headlines, but I'll tell you, it affects that small dealer, you know, as a percentage of their overall um, revenue or income or, or their bottom line, it affects them significantly. It might not make the papers because, you know, it may be, $25,000 in restitution, where the exact same issue that 
a bigger dealer is um, it, it, it has an issue with, or they're they're required to pay restitution. You know, if it's three million dollars in restitution, I expect that that newspapers and and news media it's uh, it's a little more exciting to talk about three million dollars in restitution than than uh, you know. $2,500 or $10,000, but it affects that small dealer the same. And, and I think that as an association, we've got to do our part to make sure that we're, we're looking out for the interest of both those parties. To shift gears for a moment, what are your thoughts on online dealers like Carvana or Vroom, which acquired Texas Direct? Yeah, absolutely. Both of those, uh, by the way, are members of our association. Um, and so uh, I look at it like this. This industry and every industry is at, you know, they're going to change and um, we need to uh, make sure that they have a place in our association. Um, And as an industry, as those changes take place and as those changes happen, I think we need to to, um, make sure that as an association, we're a part of that. As I was mentioning earlier, you know, talking with uh, policymakers and talking with legislators when uh, when there's some you know, a lot of people like to say when there's disruption in the industry, and and certainly you could say that that that's that's disruption. But when when someone thinks outside the box at at, at TIADA anyway, um, uh, we welcome that innovation. Uh, we don't ever feel like you know, and associations, in my opinion, should be that way in general. You know, associations need to represent everybody. They don't need to pick and choose whether they're going to represent the big guys or the little guys or the buy here, pay here guys or the retail guys or the car delivery guys or whatever the case may be. Um, and, and part of that, Zach, is is back to that level playing field that we were talking about earlier. You know, let, let's make sure that everybody's playing on a level playing field. And as long as that's the case, um, the, the thought of the, you know, speaking from the perspective of the association is, uh, you know, we, we welcome those guys. And like I say, they're they're both members of, of uh, TIADA. I know that may not be the case in every state, but, uh, but, but we certainly welcome that. What are you optimistic about for 2021? Wow, 2021. Uh, well, it's funny. Uh, the, the joke here in Texas right now is, uh, you know, as we're sitting under, you know, a, a historic um, uh, storm uh, and, and cold snap, every, everybody is saying, man, you thought 2020 was bad. Everybody said 2021 was going to be a lot better. And uh, it certainly doesn't feel better right now as, as half of our state is out of electricity. Um, the main thing I'm I'm optimistic about is, is trying to find ways to get back together. You know, associations are, it's imperative for associations to, to get together. This is great. And it's, it's great seeing you, uh, here on this, uh, this zoom call and, and, and visiting with you. And, And I think that we're all trying to, you know, find the best way for us to be able to make this work in the scenario that we're currently in or the situation we're currently in. But man, Zach, do I want to see you at our conference? You know, I really want to physically see you and all the dealers and, and you just get so much more out of um, our conference, our education. Uh, you know, you, you, you know, you're a, a professional when it comes to uh, going to the the events and speaking. And, <clears throat> and while your presentation is very important and people get a lot out of that, the number of people that come up to you after a presentation and want to have a one on one conversation or they want to follow up with something that you said. And that that's invaluable. And um, mm-hmm. that's what I'm looking forward to the most. Now, your question was, what am I looking forward to and what am I optimistic about? Um 
looking forward to it and being optimistic about it might not necessarily be the same thing. I, I am optimistic, though, uh, but I think it's mainly just because I'm, I'm kind of optimistic by nature. Uh, we are scheduled to have a live conference this year. Um, I'm hoping and anticipating with the vaccine. Uh, I've also seen that our dealers are pretty um, <clears throat> They're pretty confident in going out. Their, their dealerships are open. Uh, they're operating. They have found ways to, to socially distance and to be um, and to be effective uh, during the pandemic. And I think it's imperative upon us as an association to, to have that same resilience and to find ways to uh, to be effective and to make it work. And, and we're doing that. We're looking at our expo. We're looking at our education. Um, we have had a we've had two uh, live our in-person board meetings. And some of that was for us to see, can we do the social distancing? Can we make this work and still keep confidence high uh, and, and make people uh, feel comfortable coming to an event, knowing that we've got their, their best interest in mind as it, re, as it you know, related to health and uh, in um, any situation, we certainly wouldn't want to put anybody in a, in a bad situation there. So, I mean, that's what I'm optimistic about. And, and certainly I'm very, very hopeful that, um, that we're going to get to that point as well. Awesome. I'm looking forward to it as well. Hopefully coming out to Texas in person. And Jeff, it's been a fantastic conversation. Thank you so much for coming on the Used Car Dealer Podcast. Same here, Zach. I appreciate it. And hey, thanks for what you're doing too. I think, you know, finding mechanisms like this to get messages out to our members, to non-members, to auto dealers, it's it's unbelievably value. And so I know you're always on the cutting edge and, and hats off to you for, for kind of helping lead the way there. I really appreciate it. And thank you for having me on. Thanks, Jeff.